Chapter 1 Companies like Morningstar and Dalbar have done a bunch of studies to try to quantify the impact of investor behavior on real-life returns. The studies typically compare investors' actual returns in stock funds to the average returns of the funds themselves. To be clear, they're trying to compare the returns investors get to the returns investments get. Is there really a difference? Oh, you bet there is. Typically, the studies find that the returns investors have earned over time are much lower than the returns of the average investment. What that means is that we're leaving money on the table. Take mutual funds. All we had to do was simply put our money in the average stock mutual fund and let it sit there. But most investors didn't do that. Instead, they moved their money in and out of stock funds. Their timing was miserable, and it cost them dearly. I coined the term behavior gap to label the gap between investor returns and investment returns. And I started drawing a sketch to illustrate that point on every whiteboard I can find. Since then, I've used the behavior gap to describe all kinds of situations where our behavior leads us to subpar results, and I've drawn many of those same sketches to help my clients and readers understand what's really driving their actions. It's clear that buying even an average mutual fund and holding on to it for a long time has been a pretty decent strategy, but real people don't invest that way. We trade, we watch CNBC, and we listen to Jim Cramer yell. We buy what's up and we sell what's down. In other words, we do exactly what we all know we shouldn't do. I know it's time to be cautious when I get lots of emails from readers of my New York Times blog urging me to add stocks to my holdings. Likewise, I know it's probably a pretty good time to be hopeful about the market's prospects when certain friends and colleagues are anxious to sell stocks. What's incredible is that they know it too. We laugh about it together. They know their impulses to buy and sell are dangerous. They rely on me to help them keep those impulses under control. Back in the spring of 2009, my clients were very worried indeed. Three of them came in together to see me one day. Like most of us, they were scared to death. The market had plunged and they had sustained significant losses. The conversation quickly turned to how scary the stock market was. Them. Hey, Carl, we think it's time to sell. Me, are you suggesting that we sell something simply because it's down 30%? Them, well, you know, are we just going to keep sitting here while things go down? Me, the damage has been done, guys. You may feel like selling, but does it make any sense to sell now? Them, it's scary. Me, it's okay to be scared, but it's a bad idea to act on your fear. Them, but this is just too painful. If things continue at this rate, we'll have no money left by the end of the year. Me, actually, stocks were a lot riskier when they were more expensive, but back then we were all happy to hold them. Why sell now? Them, so what do we do instead? My answer was pretty simple. I told them that we should do absolutely nothing. Instead, we'll wait for things to calm down a bit and then review their plans to make sure they still made sense. Fast forward a couple of years. The same three guys came to see me again. Stocks had rebounded sharply, and we had a very different conversation. Them. 
Should we move more of our cash into stocks? Me. Uh, why? Them. Because the market's done so well lately. Me. You mean you want to buy more stocks because stocks are more expensive? Them. Well, they might keep going up. Me. We have no idea what the market will do in the future, so why don't we just stick with our plan? I have these conversations all the time. In early 2011, with gold up 80% over two-plus years, everyone wanted to know if they should be buying it. For a while, that was the most common question I got. I answered that gold was now riskier than it had been in a long time. If that wasn't already part of their plan, why would you add it now? My friends and clients, often the same people, aren't the only investors tempted to do the wrong thing. In 2008, 2009, and most of 2010, mutual...